I'm Duncan McLeod, and this is the Tech Central Podcast. Now, you may or may not be aware that earlier this month, the Department of Communications and Digital Technologies announced a new draft national data and cloud policy. Now, exciting stuff to some, and certainly to those, I think, in the legal profession, uh, and potentially concerning to those working in the data center and data industry more broadly. Now, to unpack it all and uh, to um, get an understanding of what all this means and what the implications are, luckily I have two lawyers with me today on a call, um, Heather Irvine and Livia Dyer. They're both partners at Bauman's, and they've both had a look at this draft policy and have kindly agreed to spend the next half hour or so unpacking what it really means for consumers, for industry, for the government, for, for everyone, really. Now, Heather is an expert in competition law. While, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Olivia, you focus on ICT policy issues? Yeah. Okay. Policy and TMT, yeah. Policy and TMT. Okay, so Livia, I suspect that um, I'm going to be picking uh, picking your brain for, for a lot of this discussion, um, given that this is your focus area. But Heather, please feel free to jump in in the conversation at any time, and of course we'll we'll um, unpack some of the competition policy issues uh, towards the uh, end of the podcast uh, today. But uh, let's let's keep it lively and uh, let's keep the, the discussion flowing. Now, Olivia, let's, let me start with you, since this is your area of expertise. Um, this draft uh, policy on data and cloud was published on the 1st of April. Um, were you expecting it or did it kind of come out of the blue? Uh, there, were, there, were, there was some mention made of the fact that the policy was going to be published sometime last year. Uh, Minister Stella and Bernie Abrams did mention that there was the cloud policy. So we weren't expecting it exactly when it came out, but um, yeah, there were mention had been made of it last year. Okay. So um, what's, what does this draft policy in, 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 at a, in sort of very high level summary terms uh, say exactly? Uh, it really creates a policy framework. Well, it's, it's a draft policy framework, obviously, for how government treats data um, it includes some quite interesting propositions or proposals around how the data of South Africans will need to be stored and kept. So it introduces uh, data localization and data sovereignty type requirements. Um, I've seen some criticisms of the policy on the basis that um, it, it might infringe on, on intellectual property um, rules. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it really, it, it, it talks a lot about how government treats data and people's information. Um, it uh, looks to establish a government data center, uh, consolidating the networks of some of the existing SOEs, uh, so including Centec and BBI. Mm. Um, and it looks like all the proposal is that all government data would be processed through those data centers as opposed to through private uh, data, set, data center providers. Um, it's got a whole range of different proposals. Those are kind of the, 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 main, the, the main proposals. There are a couple of, of proposals around um, foreign investment and incentivizing foreign investment um, into South Africa and in the data center sector, um, which is, as you know, quite lively. Um, but I mean, to, to my mind, the, the central um, focus or the, the most interesting parts of the policy are around uh, government information, uh, gov information that's generated by government, um, and then information that's generated by the private sector and how government might look to have access to that. So uh, particularly from a privacy perspective, those are the sorts of things that uh, certainly draw my attention. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, um, the intention with this draft national policy is it to ultimately to um, to come up with a new 
piece of legislation that's going to govern the space or will it be more a case of legislation having to be amended uh, to cater for the changes that we're seeing in the data environment? Yeah, so following this, um, following the receipt of, of comments from interested people and comments are due on the 12th of May, um, presumably what will happen is that the policy will be finalised and what is, what's envisaged is that certain existing pieces of legislation will be amended. So one of them is the Electronic Communications and Transactions Act, which has some um, provisions in it at the moment around critical infrastructure and critical databases and those sorts of things. I would imagine, given some of the proposals, there would be a need to amend the Protection of Personal Information Act, which, as you know, has been a long time in the making and in uh, it's coming into effect. And it's finally going to be coming into effect at the beginning of July. Um, and But it looks to me uh, that if this policy is ultimately implemented, there might need to be some further changes to, to, to POPIA. Um, which is is quite interesting after the long journey that we've had to to get to where we are. Um, there are some mentions made around cybersecurity and cyber crimes policy, but interestingly, um, the policy doesn't mention the cyber crimes bill, which was actually passed at the end of last year. So it's not entirely clear what the plan is with with that. But it looks like there might be some new legislation but primarily it's relying on existing legislation that might need to be amended or some of the levers in that existing legislation pulled um so for example yeah some of the legislation that's administered by the state security agency it's interesting what you mentioned about the cyber crimes bill where, where is that currently is it waiting the president's signature um, or is it um, is it actually legislation at the stage so it was passed by Parliament in December last year and has now been sent to the President for his assent. So it's still in it's still a bill, um, but uh, once it's signed, it will be an act. Um, so yeah, that's the, the cyber crimes. Uh, the, obviously, cyber security is intended to be dealt with separately, and what exactly is happening with that process is not entirely clear. Um, but certainly the cyber crimes bill has been passed. Right. Okay. And do you think it's a bit of an oversight that the cyber crimes bill is not mentioned in this draft policy document? It's. I, I think it must be. Um, mm -hmm. It talks about the cybersecurity framework, but then doesn't mention the legislation that has actually been passed, which is yeah. must be an oversight. Okay. So it talks about things like you mentioned um, broadband, Infraco, BBI, and Centec, and other state-owned enterprises um, being used um, as part of a, an overarching government plan to um, to create some sort of national government data center. Is that, is, am I summarizing that correctly? Is that what the bill is actually proposing or the draft uh, policy is actually proposing to do? Yeah, that's exactly what it's proposing to do. Um, it essentially is looking to consolidate the data uh, center capabilities of the various SOEs and their networks, which was already an existing proposal, um, which I think to my mind makes sense from a policy perspective. It then is also looking to consolidate the data center capabilities of other SOEs uh, where where the the data center capabilities were state funded. So um, what uh, ESCOM has, Transnet, uh, Sanral, etc. Mm. and putting them all into one and then um, making sure that all government entities use that government data center for all government information. That's very interesting. I mean, um, we're talking about SOEs here that are quite divergent in what they do. Um, I think ESCOM is one of the entities mentioned in this document um, that should put its data into this national data center, Broadband Infraco Centec, you mentioned, I think Transnet um, and others. Um, 
does it make sense to do this? I mean, surely a company like ESCOM, for example, has got its own strategic imperatives around what it wants to do with its data. And if it chooses, for example, that it wants to use Microsoft Azure or Amazon Web Services to name just the two biggest in the world today, um, why should it not be allowed to do that? Is this, is this policy actually going to force an entity like ESCOM to make use of a government platform uh, to store its data? It looks like. Um, it's not entirely clear, but that's certainly what it, it looks like, um, which is interesting. I mean, other governments in the world, many governments have moved towards a kind of cloud first uh, policy um, and imperative. But how many other governments around the world have approached this issue is not insisting that uh, government entities or departments have to use um, a state owned data center, but instead establishing parameters and rules around how the data centers of other cloud services providers must be used and, and the sorts of contractual requirements that need to be in place, um, requirements around storing some data only in the country. Um, and I think some of those policies, uh, I was having a look at the Canadian policy, for example, this morning, um, or the UK policy, where there's, there's definitely a recognition that cloud is the way to go, but there's also a recognition that the private sector, um, you know, has enormous capabilities in, in this field, um, has done enormous things as, as, the, as the policy acknowledges, um, and that building data centers requires an enormous amount of, an enormous level of resources. Um, and, you know, there's an acknowledgement in, in policies from, from some, in, a, in some other countries that security measures may in fact be better um, in the private sector because the private sector may simply just have more resources and more skills to invest um, in making sure that cloud services or cloud platforms are as secure as they possibly can be. Um, so it is an interesting approach. It is an approach that's been taken that has been taken by some by some other governments. I think India has also adopted a similar approach of requiring government data to be stored in government data centers. I suppose from a South African perspective, there is we always are a little bit wary when we hear about the potential creation of another state-owned enterprise, um, and uh, the question does come up. Uh, whether um, government should instead be trying to focus on on keeping it simple and using what already works, um, but making sure that the policy imperatives that are expressed in the policy, uh, like the need to keep government information secure, um, are, are are dealt with adequately. So um, I'm pretty sure that that's going to be one of the primary areas of focus for a lot of people who will be commenting on the policy. Mm -hmm. Well, Heather, let me let me bring you in here as the competition law expert. Um, this this policy, and uh, I think it's important to emphasize that this is very much still in draft and, and is going to change probably substantially before it reaches any sort of um, um, uh, pre-legislation or legislation uh, point. Um, but it appears that the government wants to draw in various SOEs into this um, into this process, including uh, some of the ones we've just mentioned, including Centec, Broadband, Infraco, ESCOM, etc. Uh, and we know that all of these entities are challenged in in one way or another. Um, as a country, should we really should we really be entrusting more, yet more, to dysfunctional SOEs? 
Yeah, it's a good question, Duncan. Uh, I mean, what's interesting to me coming from the perspective um, of competition law is this is a policy directive which has been issued by the Minister of Communications and Digital Technologies, which is proposing amendments to the Competition Act, which is a piece of legislation that's not administered by her department, which has its own independent regulator in the form of the Competition Commission. Now, normally the Minister of Communications would issue policy directives to ICASA when it applies the provisions of the ECA, for example. So it's, it's a little peculiar to see some quite sweeping recommendations set out in this paper. So it's rather strange to see one minister suggesting changes to a piece of legislation which doesn't primarily fall under her department's responsibility it really falls within the responsibility of Minister Patel and, and the Department of Trade, Industry and Competition. And in fact, we've just had a series of quite extensive amendments to the Competition Act, which are intended to enable our competition authorities to tackle the kinds of problems mm -hmm. that this policy recognises can crop up in the cloud space, which include, for example, the fact that there are very large multinationals who have very high market shares, who may be in a position to abuse their dominance, or they may deny access to essential data resources to their rivals, for example. So it's a little unclear why our existing competition law couldn't be successfully applied to tackle those problems. Um, and really the body which is best placed to do that mm. uh, is not CASA um, operating under the ECA. It's undoubtedly going to be the Competition Commission um, and the policy does refer to the fact that the Competition Commission has itself published a paper on the digital economy in which the Commission notes that there is a need to map the digital economy to understand where the problems might potentially be, um, that there might be some interventions in relation to mergers required, for example, or they might more actively look into complaints. But the, the Commission certainly doesn't suggest that the Competition Act is an inadequate and not up to the job. Um, and the Commission seems to have taken a fairly um, gentle approach. They're, they're kicking off with an inquiry into online platforms um, in order to understand whether there are competition problems there that are making it difficult for small suppliers to be able to supply their products inside South Africa. Uh, the Commission is not by any means suggesting that they're going to undertake a whole-scale investigation of you know, the big three S's, search, shop and socialise. Um, and so there's a kind of a disconnect here, I think, between the two departments um, and a sense that they're not necessarily uh, speaking to each other and looking to coordinate, um, which is something the Commission identifies in their paper. They say that Competition law enforcement is just one arm of what needs to happen in order to ensure that these digital markets are competitive. We also need intentional regulation that enhances competition, promotes innovation, and, and doesn't stifle inventiveness in these fast-moving markets. So, Heather, do you think that uh, that it's uh, Ibrahim Patel's department that should actually be looking at this, not the Department of Communications, that it's actually the Competition Commission that should uh, be including... Um, the stuff that's been dealt with in this draft national policy and under its paper on the digital economy? I think that it's, there's certainly some capacity for ICASA to address competition in the markets, but more broadly outside of those regulated markets, um, that, that falls within the purview of the Competition Commission. And they've already kicked off this process um, in which they're going to 
map digital markets and think about some of these aspects like cloud computing, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I think that in that context, the Commission is already engaged in a process which will ultimately achieve some of these aims. Um, the one thing the policy does suggest is that there might be some sector-specific legislation. Um, now, Liv can help us on this, but as far as I'm aware, there's no particular piece of regulation which applies generally to data and cloud computing services. You don't need a license, as I understand it. And it's not the kind of restrictions that we see imposed on telcos or even ISPs for that matter. And um, so that kind of regulation, if that's going to be on the cards in line with this policy, that would obviously have to go through a separate process of public comment. Um, and I suspect there would be some debate about whether we really want more regulation in the sector or whether we should really be trying to foster competition and allow it to evolve in a competitive way, which is responsive, which is responsive to South Africans' consumers' needs and also provides the kind of innovation and job creation opportunities that are so important for South Africa in this space. Okay. Let's, 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 let's um, stay, uh, stick on to the um, discussion around uh, regulation for just a moment. Now, this draft policy calls for the creation, Livia, of a digital transformation centre uh, that will, quote, steer for IR technologies. Um, in your view, do we really need such a thing? Is this going to be just another regulator? Um, well, there's a couple of mentions of, of data regulators and then the state, uh, to be honest, not entirely clear to me, certainly, what the intention is that it, it would do. Um, so the Digital Transformation Centre, it seems, would focus on um, uh, giving capacity to small, medium businesses, people who might not otherwise have access to cloud computing, um, to, to give them that sort of access. But there is then mention made of another data regulator, although um, exactly what the scope of its uh, functions would be isn't dealt with in this policy at all. Um, I, I personally don't think we need another regulator. Um, I don't know what a data regulator would do. Um, I think if there is going to be uh, any type of additional regulation, it would need to be, there would be, need to be obviously a lot more detail around what, what, it's, it, what would its function be. Do we not already have a data regulator in the form of the information regulator? So we do. Um, this policy seems to envisage that there would be another regulator. Um, so <laughs> that information regulator is obviously focused on data protection, data privacy, um, some of which is dealt with in, in this policy. Um, but it, it, it seems to envisage that there would be yet another one, but not entirely clear what, mm. what it would do. And as Heather says, um, is the intention that there would be some sort of licensing framework which would necessitate new legislation, entirely new legislation. Um, it, how would the, the types of requirements that are envisaged to be imposed on data centers and cloud uh, service platforms be imposed um, absent some kind of licensing framework? I mean, the, the policy also talks about um, incentivizing data center operators mm -hmm. and cloud, cloud, cloud services providers, particularly multinationals, um, to, to invest in South Africa. It, it talks about um, the potential creation of special economic zones specifically for ICT purposes. Um, but so possibly there would be requirements imposed on operators looking to enter South Africa and take advantage of the of the incentives that that might be available to them um, in in order to to access those incentives 
but it could they could it could also be just a new requirement for for some sort of a new license that that is isn't isn't spelled out and i think that that's important very important information interesting what you say about special economic zones what do they mean by that exactly what are they trying to achieve um, so obviously we have geographic special economic zones in South mm. Africa at the moment in terms of this, I think it's the Special Economic Zones Act, uh, <laughs> aptly named. Um, and this, um, the policy envisages um, uh, ICT special economic zones. So there would be incentives for um, companies to uh, locate, this, locate themselves in the special economic zones. What's not entirely clear to me is whether the intention is that these special economic zones would be kind of virtual or whether they would actually be geographic in the same way that the special economic zones are currently. Um, so is the intention that um, there will be kind of hubs of ICT services which and ICT service providers which will be located in different areas and that companies would then be able to access um, the tax incentives and rebates and, and all of the things which, which um, participants in special economic zones can receive. Um, that, again, that, that, that isn't particularly clear to me from, from the draft policy. Mm. Um, there's a lot of mention made around all data centers being located in metropolitan areas, so in Durban, Joburg, um, Cape Town, and there seems to be some suggestion that it would be a good idea to try to locate data centers uh, in other areas as well. Um, I'm not sure. In, I'm not sure how feasible that is. Um, I was just. I was just thinking, Livia, that um, these these large data centres tend to be located where the telecommunications networks um, meet. So, if you look at Terraco data environments, for example, their big uh, campus on the East Rand is located where it is for, for two main reasons. I as I understand it, the first is that all the telecommunications links were there already and so it made sense to put up the infrastructure there but also the Akurulani municipality were able to guarantee the supply of electricity uh, to, to power these these energy hungry uh, data centers so that's a specific reason they went there I, I um, you know even if a special economic zone is created say in the northeastern free state for uh, for these companies to put down data center infrastructure if there's no telecommunications infrastructure in the ground there or they can't get a reliable source of electricity they ain't going to build there yeah, I think that's exactly the thing, and and it comes back to to the point I made earlier about is it is it not preferable to keep it simple and to use what we have and what we know works rather than trying to pursue what might be a very laudable policy goal, but in practice is just not going to happen. Mm. I mean, there is acknowledgement in the policy as well around the significant energy needs of these data centres, um, and that. That that is a that is potentially an impediment to uh, the establishment of more data centres in South Africa. Mm -hmm. um, the policy intervention that is proposed is that data centres would be able to self-generate electricity, which they might be able to do anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that all of those sorts of practical issues are are exactly what what is concerning, um, or, yeah. or what is is something to potentially to to raise um, as a comment um, yeah. around. The, the draft policy. Does Gwede Mantashe know about uh, about the this draft policy? What it says about self generation? <laughs> One wonders. <laughs> now, um, Liv, I believe there's there's some interesting stuff in in the draft uh, as well regarding black economic empowerment. Uh, what what does it say exactly? And should we be seeing BEE rules coming through in policy documents like this? Uh, is it not best dealt with in BEE legislation specifically? 
So, I mean, I think there is a, an increasing um, uh, tendency for BE requirements to be expressed in these sorts of policy documents, and obviously BE is, as a policy tool, um, quite a nuanced and good way of, of trying to promote uh, the, the goals of, of BE legislation. Um, it is common to see sector-specific requirements. Uh, there is one throwaway line in the draft policy um, around the need, particularly for foreign multinationals, to adhere to BE rules. Exactly how they would do that isn't clear to me. So, um, telcos and broadcasters have recently been required to uh, comply with new ownership and control rules that ACASA published at the end of March. Um, and th those, are, those are sector specific binding requirements. In most other sectors, there are no binding requirements of that nature. Um, you can choose to have a BE rating and a BE level, or you can choose not to be, and you will. Uh, you will improve your BE position. Generally, companies will do so because they want to be good corporate citizens, but there are specific commercial incentives to them doing so. And most of the cloud services providers that operate in South Africa, the large ones, actually already have pretty good BE ratings um, and, and do do a lot um, from a, to, to um, improve their, their levels of black economic empowerment. Um, so I'm not sure how this type of a requirement would be imposed. The only way that, that a binding requirement could be imposed is if there's new legislation um, and a new licensing requirement or similar, uh, similar to what we have for, uh, for telco operators and broadcasters. So um, that would need to be fleshed out as well quite a lot. Yeah, we've seen um, Microsoft and Amazon, who are the two biggest players in the space, specifically not um, selling equity in their local operations because they they um, either can't or, or I think they may be actually precluded from doing so under U.S. legislation or something along those lines. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong there. But um, both of these companies have um, announced equity equivalent deals um, where they invest in other aspects of BEE rather than simply doing an equity transaction. Um, not having looked at the BEE component of this uh, draft policy, um, would those equity equivalent deals uh, pass muster under what's written in this document? I think they probably would. It seems okay. to align with the existing BEE framework and those equity equivalent investment programs are dealt with under the, the BEE codes. So presumably if there's some sort of a requirement that in order to operate as a data center or cloud services provider in South Africa, you must be a level four BEE contributor, just assuming that the same requirement that's imposed on, on telcos is imposed on, on data mm. center. Um, providers, um, then you would need to put yeah the, the equity. You could certainly do an equity equivalent um, investment program. Um, there's also mention made in the policy of specific requirements that would be imposed on foreign operators, so on multinationals, um, to ensure skills uh, skills transfer um, and transfer of, of knowledge. Right. So. Yeah, so that so that is specifically envisaged for for foreign operators, which is quite interesting for the likes of Amazon and Microsoft. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I found that quite odd in the light of the fact that we've already got some provisions in the Competition Act, which haven't yet come into effect, which will regulate acquisitions of strategic assets by foreign acquiring firms. So. Once again, it's unclear whether we're now going to create a special set of rules that apply only to data and cloud computing companies, and then 
they will not have the provisions of the Competition Act applied to them, or whether there will be some coordination between this piece of legislation and the Competition Act so that mm. data and computing might, for example, be a designated sector to which special rules apply. You won't just as a foreign acquiring firm be able to buy a South African-based asset without getting special permission from a separate committee, uh, in addition to going through the competition process, for example. Grace, before we wrap, Heather, I wanted to, to bring you back in and just actually ask you about the um, about this policy. Um, do you have any other concerns about this draft policy? And how would you like to see it uh, developed going forward? You mentioned the what the work that the Competition Commission is doing around the digital economy. How would you like to see that dovetail into the, into the, the, the draft document that the Department of Communications has produced here? And ultimately, how would you like to see it move forward in terms of legislative amendments, new legislation, etc.? So Duncan, I think the one change I'd like to see to this draft is a toning down of some of the sentiments that suggests that uh, big equals bad. Um, mm. You know, the Competition Commission has been quite careful to identify that there are concerns which can arise in digital markets if firms abuse their dominance, but they don't suggest that simply because there are big firms that that is somehow a competition problem. So. There's a, a major sort of issue of principle, which I think needs to be addressed in the document. And then I do think it, it would be preferable for the draft policy to speak to what has already been done under the Competition Act. Um, and rather than just suggesting amendments to the Competition Act, point to the work of the Competition Authority in the digital economy paper and through its current market inquiry into online platforms, and, and say no more than as a matter of policy, if there are competition problems, either the Competition Commission or ICASA should address them mm -hmm. under their particular pieces of legislation. Um, and I think that would be just as effective as what this paper does, which is kind of suggests some quite sweeping interventions before we've really identified what the problems actually are. Mm. And Olivia, are there merits to this draft document? Do you think uh, maybe this draft document should just be torn up and we, f we forget it was ever produced? Or uh, um, do, you, do you think that, that it has some merits and it should be pursued going forward? And if, if the latter, what should happen? I would like to see the document become quite a lot more specific. Um, okay. There are a lot of words, um, but uh, I, I don't see the link sometimes between the policy interventions that are proposed and the uh, commentary that's contained in the policy. Um, I so yeah, I mean that's 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 one that's a kind of overarching comment. Um, there are also some quite significant uh, proposals in relation to um, having to keep information of South African citizens or, or residents having to keep a copy in South Africa, so the imposition of data localization requirements, and that would imp that would apply um, even within uh, the AU. So you, you wouldn't, you would have to always keep a copy of information in South Africa. Some information would not be able to be transferred out of South Africa. Um, and there seems to be a, a significant focus on data belonging to South Africa um, uh, and, and uh, an indication that any um, data that's generated from South African natural resources would um, be co-owned by government. So even if private sector mm -hmm. parties are generating data from South African resources, so minerals or water, whatever it might be, 
um, that that generated data would be um, co-owned by by the South African government. Um, and I think I mean some of the concerns that are expressed in the policy are um, one can understand. So there there are concerns about foreign governments being able to access the information of governments of of other countries and the information of of citizens of other countries. I mean we've seen those concerns expressed by the EU, but I'm not sure that this quite sweeping um, requirement is necessarily the way to deal with with those concerns. Um, I think there would be concerns about people investing in South Africa um, where they're going to be generating data from, from South African resources and, and then they don't own it in, in its entirety. Um, I think one also has to acknowledge that a lot of the very valuable, one needs to acknowledge, data that is generated by um, uh, big tech companies that, that, that where what they do is data analysis. I think one needs to acknowledge that there have been significant resources invested into developing um, the the means to do that type of data analysis. Um, and it's it, it, it can't just be available to everybody. I mean, of course, it, it might be appropriate for there to be controls, but I'm not sure that it's just, uh, it's it's as easy as just saying, oh, well, you know, this, this data is, is also owned by, by the South African government or, or by South Africa. Um, so I think some of those those sorts of um, provisions should or proposals should should be toned down, clarified exactly what they mean um, mm -hmm. would be would be helpful. But Heather, I'm guessing uh, that it's, it's um, probably uh, a bit early to start panicking about this. Um, the uh, this is a sort of a normal process. I, I, I take it to the to the development of legislation. Um, I've obviously heard of the green and white paper processes. This is simply a, a draft uh, policy document. Um, I take it there's going to be a lot of discussion, a lot of change that's going to come through this process uh, before this um, results in any sort of legislative changes or any sort of new legislation being adopted. Yeah, that's quite right. So this is a draft mm -hmm. um, for public comment. Uh, the comment period has been quite short and has unfortunately fallen over the holiday period. So it's not clear to me how many comments uh, will be submitted or how extensive to the changes to the policy might be. When is the deadline? Uh, um, it's the 12th of May, I think. Oh, that's quite soon. Yes. So I think that um, we hope that there would be some changes to the policy uh, which address some of the concerns we've talked about. But even if they're not, um, there would certainly, to the extent that changes to existing legislation is proposed or new laws have to be passed, mm -hmm. those would of course themselves go through uh, public comment. The concern I think would be that a policy paper like this sets a particular direction which then becomes harder and harder to move away from. Um, and in particular, I'm concerned about the sort of failure to coordinate between different government departments. Um, once you start these processes in parallel, it becomes harder and harder to stop them and less and less efficient to have more than one regulator doing exactly the same job. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's something which I think it would be very useful to address at the outset. Yes, we've seen we've seen that, of course, in the telecommunications industry with the Competition Commission and uh, ICASA stepping on each other's toes regularly. Um, it's become less of a problem in recent years after they signed a, uh, what do they call it, a, a memorandum of understanding, I think, uh, between them. So there's less uh, less of that foot trotting that happened in the past, but it certainly happens and 
is, is not ideal and uh, ends up with the companies actually forum shopping for uh, for the best outcome. Uh, if they think the best outcome will be from the CASA, they go there first. Um, and uh, I think you, um, um, you, you understand the concept of forum shopping very well being in the, the legal space. But um, Heather and Livia, it's been uh, fascinating having you on the on the show and uh, unpacking uh, some of the issues around this, uh, this um, I was going to call it draft legislation, but it's not that. It's simply a, a draft policy document. Um, we'll be keeping a close eye on how it develops and uh, perhaps get you on the show again at some point in the future to uh, unpack um, any changes that uh, might have hap- happened um, or any developments that might have happened from the Department of Communications in the development of this um, this policy framework, let me call it that. Um, Heather, you, you post some interesting stuff on Twitter from time to time uh, uh, about competition law and, and various other things. If people want to give you a follow, what's your Twitter handle? Yes, I'm at Heather IRV. Heather IRV. And, uh, and Livia, are you on Twitter? I am taking a Twitter break, Duncan. <laughs> You're taking a Twitter break. Very sensible of you. Very sensible of you. There's nothing on Twitter that's worth reading, to be honest. Uh, just lots of people shouting at each other. Uh, but uh, much, much more, much more fun to to chat in an engagement like this. But uh, Heather Irvine and Livia Dyer are both partners at Bauman's. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with Tech Central today. Much appreciated. Thanks, Thanks Duncan.